verses 12 through 17. These texts are in connection with the Lord's Day, which we'll be looking at this afternoon, that deals with the fourth commandment, the commandment to rest and worship on the Sabbath day. Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever." It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So far from Exodus 31, let's turn now to the New Testament, to the letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 6 through 19. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgotten us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished 
and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So far from Colossians, one more text we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as He has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David uh, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So far... The Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read together, let's sing from Psalm 84, stanzas 1 through 3. Service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of the Christian faith. We find ourselves This afternoon in Lord's Day 38, that's on page 554 of your books of praise. There the question is, what does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained. And that, especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, and let the Lord work in me through His Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're continuing our our series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, 
And we find ourselves this week on the fourth commandment. I should probably acknowledge right from the outset that the fourth commandment is probably the most widely debated and disagreed about of all of the commandments. And the questions that we have to sort through are are not easy questions to answer. Let's just start by listening to the command again. It's not repeated in the in the catechism, and so it's good to hear that so we know again what we're what we're thinking about. That's in Exodus twenty, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the fourth commandment. It's one of the longest ones in in the, the whole Decalogue, the whole series of the Ten Commandments. Uh, And you notice the command refers there to the seventh day, Saturday, the day that God rested, and and says that day is to be kept holy, and therefore no work is to be done on that day, on Saturday. The big question we want to answer today is, number one, is this commandment still in force in any way? And secondly, if so, what does it look like for us today? And we want to just uh, acknowledge, I'll get to this, but I'll just acknowledge from the outset the, the elephant in the room, so to speak. And that's the fact that, in case you didn't notice, today is Sunday, not Saturday. And most Christians around the world worship Christ on Sunday and not Saturday. Obviously, we want to ask, why? Why is that? And, and is that justified. Uh, The commandment clearly says the seventh day is to be kept as holy, and that's even backed up by the reference to the creation account that God himself rested on the seventh day, uh, the last day of the creation week. But before we deal with that question, I want to start by just making sure we understand that this commandment is a big deal. Uh, that's why we read from Exodus 31. This, uh, this text comes near the end of Exodus after a long list of many, many laws and regulations. And you notice, I don't know if you notice the wording there in, in Exodus 31, but he says, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. There's a number of key terms that We'll come back to in in that verse. But first, just notice the the significance of this command. Uh, God says, above everything else, make sure you keep this commandment. In other words, it, it matters more than anything else that has been said. God regards Sabbath keeping as being of the utmost importance. In fact, it was so important that as we read, there was even the death penalty for Sabbath breakers. The reason I mention this is because there is a tendency in modern Christianity uh, to to dismiss not only the fourth commandment, but but really the first four commandments, the first half of the law, as, as sort of whatever, 
no big deal. This is your private relationship with God, and, and no, one, no one may judge what, what you do with respect to those commandments. And we, we, we tend to think that what really matters is the second table of the law. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? If you're doing that, then how exactly you choose to love God uh, is, is your business and, and nobody else's. It's, it's a trend in modern Christianity. And what that is saying is that the second commandment, the second great commandment, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than the first one, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or, or at least it's saying that nobody really gets to judge me on that first commandment. That's my own private business. And, and so we tend to dismiss any of the elements of the first table of the law as, as sort of no big deal. Uh, and, and it's not limited to the fourth commandment. This is true of the other, the other half of the, the, the other, the rest of the first half of the law as well. You think of the the second commandment: Do not make images of God, and and pictures of God are are very commonplace. E- even in children's Bibles, you, you sometimes have this figure of an old man with a big beard sitting in a cloud. A, a very clear, direct violation of that commandment. But we say, oh, that's no big deal. Or, or saying things like, like OMG, a violation of the third commandment that, that is in modern Christianity very often abused. And, and the fourth commandment often gets the same sort of treatment, relegated to one of those commandments that, that doesn't really matter. You get to do whatever you, you, you want to do. And part of the reason we, we do this, we, we dismiss those commandments and, and get upset when people want to talk about them, is because we've, we've bought into the world's way of thinking that as long as I'm not hurting anybody else with what I do, then it shouldn't matter to, to anybody else. Then people should mind their own business. That way of thinking is wrong. Uh, we need to, to see that God takes the first table of the law very seriously, and God charges the, the spiritual leadership of the church as well to, to take it just as seriously, to, to see to it that the first half of the law is kept along with the second half. If we want to just dismiss, like if our approach to the, the fourth commandment is just to dismiss it from the get-go, to say, who cares what you think, it's your own private business, uh, we don't know the God of the Bible who takes these things seriously. And, and, and if that's our approach, we'll find ourselves increasingly uncomfortable with that God, especially when you encounter texts like Exodus 31 that speak of even a death penalty for, for Sabbath-breaking. All that to say then, however we're going to approach this commandment, we do want to take it seriously because God himself takes it seriously. We shouldn't treat it offhand. Now it's fair to ask, uh, as some of you may be asking, why, why did God command that, that Sabbath breakers would even receive the death penalty? Uh, in order to answer that, we want to understand what that death penalty was actually applied to. We want to keep in mind what the Lord Jesus himself said about the Sabbath. For example, in Matthew 11, he made it clear that if you had a sheep that, that fell into a pit, and you were to get up and, and help that sheep out, that, that's work in a technical sense, but that was not the, the point of the Sabbath, to prohibit those sorts 
of activities. Or when Jesus' disciples were walking through the field and, and they were picking grain and, and snacking on it, and, and they got accused of breaking the Sabbath, Jesus made it clear the Pharisees were missing the point. That's not what Sabbath-breaking was supposed to mean. As Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So when we look at Exodus 31 and we see that God has such a strict, severe penalty for, for the fourth commandment, we should not be thinking of, of you know, people that accidentally picked up one too many sticks for, for the campfire. Uh, God is, is speaking there of, of people who are blatantly violating the Sabbath in a way that makes it clear that they have no intention of keeping the Sabbath. Uh, they don't care about the holiness of the Sabbath. And the reason that's given the death penalty then is because this was a rejection, a public rejection of God Himself. Israel was called out of the nations to be a people devoted to God. And a deliberate refusal to keep the Sabbath was a public way of saying, I don't give a rip about that God. Uh, And that merited the death penalty. So all this is to say we, we should not then dismiss the commandment as, as whatever or, or as, as sort of legalism. God took it seriously then. We should take it seriously now. Let's deal then with, with the big question, which is why are we here today and not yesterday? Why do we worship on Sunday and not Saturday? Uh, there are groups like the Seventh-day Adventists that, that continue to believe that we, the Christian church got this one wrong and ought to still be worshiping on, on Saturday. So why don't we? Well, there's, there's a few different approaches to this question, and, and I'm going to take those as the structure of the sermon because they explain different ways of seeing the Sabbath as a whole. There's three main approaches. Number one is the one that's most common among evangelical churches today, and that's simply to say the whole fourth commandment is part of the ceremonial law and no longer, and not the moral law, and so it passed away along with the rest of the ceremonies and sacrifices, circumcision, things like that. It's all part of the Old Testament, no longer relevant to the new. We can worship God whenever we want. We can work whenever we want. That's, that's the one position. In Reformed theology, there's, there's two main approaches. And, and you can call them the Continental Reformed and, and the English Reformed approach. And they're, they're different. The English Reformed, that's the Presbyterian uh, approach. Uh, that, you find that in the Westminster Confession, the Puritans as well. And that's to say that the Sabbath day switched from Saturday to Sunday. So now Sunday is the New Testament Sabbath Uh, So the whole commandment applies exactly as it stands, except you can now replace uh, Saturday with Sunday. The continental approach was the view of John Calvin, also the view of uh, Ursinus, the author of our catechism, is that there is a ceremonial part of the law and and a permanent moral part of the law, that the, the specific day is part of the ceremonial law, but the principle of weekly rest remains. Uh, And so it doesn't matter necessarily which day we choose to worship on, but we must worship and rest once a week. That was the approach of of Calvin, Ursinus, and and most of the continental reformers. 
You notice the Catechism doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, take a clear stance on this question. It speaks of a day of rest, but it doesn't specify which day that is. Of course, it's assumed to be Sunday, but it doesn't specify that. And if you read uh, the author to the Catechism, Zacharias or Sinus, he wrote a long commentary on the Catechism. He makes it clear that he takes this third approach. He regards the principle of rest as remaining but the specific day as being uh, irrelevant. Uh, The Catechism doesn't make that explicit, and that's because not all the Reformers were in agreement on on that question. The ancient church father Augustine, whom uh, many of us know, of course, and and who we greatly respect, uh, he took the first position that nine out of the Ten Commandments are fully in force. The Fourth Commandment is no longer at all. That's the approach that most evangelicals have today. And, and then the, the English Reform took this, this second approach that the, the Sabbath simply switched from, from Saturday to Sunday. Now we want to be biblical about this. We want to approach this by opening the Word of God and asking what does the Word of God teach? The Bible needs to be our authority on this question. I want to start with the, the second approach, that the Sabbath has switched from Saturday to Sunday. That's the hardest one to defend from Scripture. The fact is, there's, there's simply no command anywhere in Scripture that says the Sabbath has now switched to Sunday, and you must now rest and worship on Sunday. Now, it, it's very clear that that is what the early church did. The apostles did it. and the rest of the early church did. They made Sunday their day of of worship. Uh, We can see this in a number of places in in Acts, where it says that they gathered on the first day of the week. The Apostle John, when he writes uh, the Revelation, uh, he, he says that he received that Revelation on the first day of the week, which he even calls the Lord's Day. So there's something special about that day. So clearly, right from the beginning, Christians did regard Sunday as a special, a unique day, and the day on which they all chose to meet regularly every, every single week. However, that does not mean that the early Christians regarded Sunday as the Sabbath, uh, with, with all of the same implications of, of the Old Testament Sabbath that it used to have uh, for Saturday. Yes, they met and they worshipped on Sunday, but many of them also worked on Sunday. Uh, Many of them were Jews. They still kept the Old Testament Sabbath. They they made Saturday their day of rest, and they worked on Sunday and met in the evenings or in the early mornings uh, for church on Sunday. Uh, Many others were were also slaves, and, and they had no choice in the matter. They were expected to work, and they did so with a clear conscience. In fact, the writings of the early church fathers are unanimous in that Sunday is not the Sabbath day. They insist, we as Christians do not keep a Sabbath. Instead, they they speak of Sunday as a day of joy. That's the the term they most often use, the day of joy. Uh, And and they, they call it that because that's the day on which Christ arose and therefore on which they come together to celebrate that's also why we, we read from Colossians 2, uh, verses 6 through 19. Here also, Paul is quite clear. He says in verse 16, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in, re- in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It's clear that Paul regards the Sabbath as part of the Old Testament ceremonial law, uh, together with questions of food and drink and, and so forth. There's another passage in Romans 14 as well where uh, he says the same thing. Uh, He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. And most commentators agree. He's talking there about the Sabbath. So Paul clearly taught that the Sabbath was, was part of the Old Testament ceremonial law. Christians no longer have a Sabbath day. Uh, this explains also then why there is no command in Scripture to move Sabbath from, from Saturday to Sunday because the early church and, and the, the apostles themselves regarded the Sabbath as being altogether fulfilled. Uh, they chose to worship God on Sunday, but they never regarded Sunday as the Sabbath day. They believed that that had passed away. This also makes sense if you... Consider carefully what Moses told the people of Israel back in Exodus 31. He says in verse 13, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. The Sabbath was a sign. He says it again in verse 17. It is a sign between me and and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now he does say, in case you notice, I skipped the word, but he does say it is a sign forever, but that forever is together with the rest of the, the, the covenant symbols that were all regarded as forever, meaning as long as this covenant endures. The circumcision was also a sign forever uh, throughout your generations. Uh, the, the, the Passover was, was a ceremony meant to, to last forever, but that forever is always within the context of, of the covenant. As long as the covenant endures, so you shall continue this, uh, this practice. It's like a lifetime guarantee that a company offers. As long as you're still alive and you still have the product, then, then you get our, our guarantee. But, but I want to focus on the fact that it's called a sign. Because that clearly groups the Sabbath day together with circumcision and the rest of the ceremonial law. These are signs pointing to realities. That is clearly how Paul also understood them. That's why he says in, in Colossians 2, uh, these are shadows of greater things to come. But the substance is with Christ. And that's also how the early church understood the Sabbath day. So if we're going to go by what Scripture teaches, that seems to strike position number two off the list. There's simply no command that says that the Sabbath has switched from Saturday to Sunday. Before we settle on position number one, though, so again, number one is, The whole thing's part of the ceremonial law. There's no more day of rest, no Sabbath, nothing like that. Position number three is the principle of rest remains while the day is uh, is part of the ceremonial law and and no longer relevant. So those are are the two positions before us uh, if, if we're taking off number two. 
Before we settle immediately on position number one, because it's attractive when you read Paul and he says the Sabbath has passed away and you want to say, okay, maybe the whole fourth commandment then is gone. We want to consider a couple of things. First, the Ten Commandments themselves base the Sabbath on creation. Did you notice that? In the the fourth commandment, the, the reason why we keep the fourth commandment there is grounded in creation. Uh, The reason the Jews were supposed to rest on Saturday is because God Himself rested on that day. So the, the idea of a Sabbath is not one that was instituted only at Mount Sinai, with the covenant with with the Jews. It's one that goes all the way back to creation. And that means there is a principle here that applies not just to Israel, but to the whole world, to all creation. Now the reason that God rested, we can safely presume to to not be because God was tired. Uh, Obviously God does not get tired. Isaiah uh, 40, verse 28. Uh, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So, God did not rest because He was tired. The reason God rested in creation is because the work was done. It says, therefore, uh, God made that day holy. He had completed His work of creation. And the point of this is, in the way it's phrased in the Ten Commandments, is we are called to imitate God in His resting. Just as God's work of creation was headed towards completion, and when it got completed, it was followed by resting, so we also should regard our work as heading towards a day of completion, followed by an eternity of resting. Our work is headed towards a goal. And when that work is complete, we will rest with God forever. We're imitating God in His resting. What the Sabbath did was made that principle a weekly reminder. What it teaches us, what the Sabbath teaches, is that we do not exist for... Excuse me, that, that we do exist for the purpose of worship. That's why God made us. He created all things for the seventh day. On the seventh day, we're doing what we were created to do, which is to to rest and worship God. So just as God created all things and then rested, He stopped to enjoy what He had made, so conversely, we see our work as aiming towards that day where we may stop and enjoy our God. Uh, and remember, of course, that's, that's the purpose of life. We saw that already in the first commandment. We were made for relationship with God, to know Him, to love Him, and to live with Him. All our work is headed towards that day, headed in that direction. Uh, and, and in one sense, that day is only, it's still in the future. It's only going to come at the end of all things. Uh, only then are we finally going to enjoy that full, complete Rest, And that's the point that, that the author to the Hebrews was making. There's still something future about this commandment. There's still a rest that we're still waiting for. Many other New Testament promises are already ours completely in such a way that we disregard the ceremony 
altogether. But there are others like this one where there's still something future. We're still waiting for that, and we still need then that reminder that this is what life is all about. The Sabbath is a foretaste of eternity. That's the point then that's made in in Hebrews 4. If the Sabbath is a shadow, we need to be asking what's the reality to which it points. Every shadow points to a reality. The sacrifices, for example, pointed to the, the sacrifice of Christ, which is now complete and finished. And so we just say the sacrifices are gone. We no longer need them. The, the, the reality is fully here. Uh, the, the priesthood uh, was a shadow that pointed to the role of Christ as our priest. Since that is fully here, the shadow is gone. The Sabbath is a shadow of something that is not yet fully here. And that makes it somewhat different from the other ceremonies. It's a shadow of something that is still to come. And that's why the catechism, if you notice the, the way the catechism answers this question, the catechism focuses primarily on the eternal rest and the goal of worship for all of life, resting from our evil, evil works and looking forward to that day. It, it speaks of, of our weekly pattern of rest, but the, the authors recognize that what the commandment is, is really all about is looking forward to the eternity of rest, that eternal Sabbath. What that means for us is that since that is still future, there should be a weekly pattern of rest that reminds us of what our life is all about. Again, the principle that that God ordained in creation is that we would imitate Him in His resting. How do we do that now? Yes, the Old Testament is passed away, and yet that shadow is still pointing to something that's coming. Are we regularly stopping to remind ourselves of that? See, we need the weekly reminder that our life is not all about work. This is driven home especially in, in how the commandment is worded in, in Deuteronomy 5. So the Ten Commandments are, are given twice, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And, in, and they're almost exactly the same in both instances, except for the fourth commandment. There's a different ground for the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5. There it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The point there is, We were not meant to be slaves to our work. You were just delivered from slavery to work. Don't fall into it again. God's saying, I rescued you from slavery, and I didn't do it so that you'd only become enslaved all over again to your own work. The point then in in both sets of the Ten Commandments is ultimately the same. We don't exist for our daily work. We exist... For worship. And that's why we need still a day of rest. Let's be honest, the, the same temptations exist for us that existed for the Israelites to, to, to let our work become our entire life, to forget that there's more to life than our work as well as our school. 
And that is wrong to become enslaved to your work or to your school. We have a day of rest to prevent that from happening because that's not what life is all about. That's not what we're going to be doing for all eternity. Our work serves the ultimate goal of our worship. So, so the Sabbath day as such has passed away. We, we acknowledge that together with Paul. What, what else can we do? That's what Paul clearly says. It's a shadow that pointed to a reality that, that we will ultimately enjoy. But the principle still remains that, we are, that, that since we are called to live for that day, we use the reminder every week to, to stop, to rest, and to worship. To remember that this is what we were ultimately made for. Now, we don't do that because we're bound by the law. Okay, that, should be, that should be clear. We don't rest because we're bound by the law. That, that part of the fourth commandment has passed away. We do it because we're ruled by the Spirit. Because we want to, to keep looking forward to that day. We want to be ruled by the Spirit. And if we are, we will want a day that we can devote to resting and worshiping the Lord. We are, after all, commanded to worship God. And part of that worship is by coming together regularly as a church. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Since the very beginning, the very beginning, the first day of the church's existence, Christians have come together on Sunday in order to worship God and to commemorate the resurrection of Christ. Consider in Acts 2, Peter preaches to the crowds and 3,000 people are baptized. And what's the very first thing that they do? The very next verse says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. This is a Christian's most basic instinct, to want to come together with other Christians, to worship God together. This desire to come together is a desire that's given by the Holy Spirit. So... so, If we're neglecting it, we may be able to say, yes, but the fourth commandment has passed away, but we're still acting contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit's desire is one of coming together to worship the Lord, and you see it throughout the church's history. A Christian who does not want to come together with other Christians is is, uh, putting into question the sincerity of his own faith. It's that basic to the Christian faith, to want to worship with other Christians. That's the response of the Spirit right from the beginning of the Christian church, to set aside this day for worship. We don't do that because we believe we're bound by a law or because the Sunday is the new Sabbath. We do it because we're ruled by the Spirit, and it's our desire to have this weekly reminder that life is ultimately all about worship and not about work. And so when we consider this, this principle of rest 
that's laid down already in creation. And we look also at the practices of the early Christian church, the New Testament church, and the apostles. The strongest position regarding the Sabbath seems to be this third one, that yes, the ceremonial law has passed away, but the principle of rest in anticipation of eternity still remains. We, we don't have a Sabbath in the same way that the Jews did, where this is something that's commanded by God and strictly regulated, but we do honor a day of rest so that we may have time to be in God's Word and come together as, as fellow Christians. So let's take these conclusions then and, and make them practical. What does the fourth commandment mean for us? I'll give just a few points. In the first place, it means that we make worship the highest priority in the Christian life. That's the focus that the Catechism gives as well. The purpose of the Sabbath is to direct our sights to God, uh, to, to the very purpose for which we were created, which is to worship God and to enjoy relationship with Him. And, and so we make Worship the highest priority of our life. So the Catechism mentions several practical aspects of this, making sure that the preaching of the gospel is maintained and and funding the schools. There the schools refers primarily to to the seminaries, but we regard even our Christian schools as as needing to be there if ever there will be pastors. They they must receive their elementary education uh, first. So we make sure that Christian education is maintained. We also diligently attend the church of God. Why? Because that's where the people of God are gathered, and that's the Christian's most basic instinct. So that's where we also want to be. In our worship, we hear the word. The Catechism mentions we participate in the sacraments. We call upon the Lord in prayer, and we give our Christian offerings to the poor. These are all things that are specifically commanded in the New Testament. So that's the first. We make worship and all that's entailed with that the highest priority in in our lives. Second, the fourth commandment also means that even though we, we may not have to, we still strive to make the entire day one of resting. Here we need to understand that the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was not given to be a burden. It was given to be a gift. Uh, those of us who have heavy work schedules uh, get this. We can work hard all week long because we know on Sunday we get our day of rest. It's a gift from God. We know that we're weak. We could very easily become enslaved to our work, so we insist on resting. Number three, if God has given us this opportunity to rest, we should also receive it with joy and with gladness. Isaiah 58, verse 13 says, If you turn your back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If we are only resting because we feel like we have to, and we're miserable all day long, 
then we're not honoring the Sabbath day any more than other people who, 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 don't, who, who don't keep it, or, or not the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. We're not honoring this commandment any more than anyone else who doesn't keep it at all if we're not able to rejoice in this day and, and make the most of it. The day of rest is meant to be, as the early Christians called it, our day of joy. Finally, if God has given us the opportunity to make Sunday our day of rest, We should also receive it with an eye to the spiritual work that we may not have time to do the rest of the week. Uh, Jesus made it clear that there is a kind of work that ought to be done on the Sabbath. Uh, When the Pharisees challenged him for healing someone on the Sabbath, he said in John 5 or 17, My father is working until now, and I am working. There, There is a kind of work that God continues to do even though his work of creation is finished. And there's a kind of work that he commands us to do also on the day of rest. It's the kind of work that we will be doing throughout eternity. Uh, Throughout the week, we might be able to say that we have so much to do and so uh, so much responsibility and so little time, for example, to dig into the word of God. Well, thank God, then, that He's given us Sunday. We have a whole day to catch up on our Bible readings. We have a whole day to work on our devotions, and no excuse not to do so. Throughout the week, we might be able to say that we're so busy that we have no time to visit the sick or the lonely or to counsel one another or to exhort or to to help or to teach or to guide one another. All things that we're commanded to do in the New Testament. Well, that may or may not be true throughout the week, but thank God we have Sunday, a whole day in which we can devote ourselves to these things. If we're going to set this day aside, in other words, as a day of rest, it's not meant to be a day of idleness. It's meant to be a day of working in the ways that we cannot work the rest of the week in service to one another and in devotion to God. It's not just going to church and then sort of sitting around all day at home waiting for the day to to pass by. It's working for the kingdom of Christ in those areas in which God gives us to work and and using the time as best as we can. One example of this in the life of the Lord Jesus is the work of healing. He he deliberately made a point of doing more healing on the Sabbath day than on any other day. Uh, For us, that might mean visiting one another, encouraging each other, helping each other in in ways that we don't have time uh, the rest of the week. And it's also enabling one another to enjoy a day of rest. Some of us uh, are, are so afflicted with, with physical ailments or, or spiritual uh, heaviness on our heart or, or other sicknesses or weaknesses that we, we find ourselves unable to enjoy Sunday. That's the opportunity for the rest of us to come alongside them and help make it a day of joy and rest and celebration. In these ways, we can then 
honor the ultimate purpose of the fourth commandment, which is to set before our eyes the thing that we will be doing for the rest of eternity, worshiping God, knowing Him, loving Him, and living our lives with Him. That's uh, what the fourth commandment is really all about. And it teaches us to make that reality that is a distant reality a present reality reality every single week. So let us strive then to honor this commandment and to fix our eyes on that day. Amen. Let's sing in response from Psalm 92. You'll notice in the title on the book of praise that it it was understood by the Jews to be a psalm for the Sabbath. So they sang this every Sabbath.